We hit the ground running. The morning after I landed on a late flight into Warsaw, Poland, I found myself driving four hours to the Ukrainian border, passing through farmland and forest, the scenery punctuated with crumbling concrete reminders of World War II, the only European conflict in the past 75 years greater than what's happening right now in Ukraine today. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and you're listening to The Great Stories Podcast. And today, I want to introduce you to just some of the people I met, evacuees fleeing for their lives, often leaving husbands and fathers and even older sons behind, and Christians who are stepping up to help in this growing crisis. As I traveled from Warsaw to the border, and then on to Krakow, where most of the refugees are landing or passing through in Poland, I was often accompanied by the president of Mission Eurasia, Sergei Rakuba. I want you to hear him talk a little about what's happening in Ukraine today and how you can help. Thank you, Charles, for coming out that far here to see, you know, so what's happening now this part of the world at the border crossings here when we see thousands and thousands of people are pouring out of Ukraine uh, to Poland uh, uh, looking for a place where they can stay, where they can uh, warm their bodies, you know, so but also to get comfort uh, running away from uh, tragedies. We as Mission Eurasia, we launched our I Care Ukraine Now project and the main focus to provide food, medical assistance and shelter to people. We uh, are trying to raise enough resources to pack 20,000 of this family uh, food uh, eye care packages. Uh, in one box there is enough food for a family of four to five uh, to sustain a family of about four to five people for at least one week. So in the basic kind of food, you know, grain, bread, butter, uh, oil, uh, uh, spam, uh, and, uh, you know, noodles. And so that's enough for a family of four to five people uh, to survive for at least one week. And right over this border there, we have a tent and people who stay in line there for hours in some days you know, days waiting for permission to cross the border. That's where they're ministering to them, providing food, providing spiritual comfort. In that tent, they call that, that's the tent of comfort. They offer uh, counseling, you know, so they distribute scripture there, but mainly providing food for those refugee families there on, on the Ukrainian side. We're calling on all of our listeners to pray boldly and give boldly to the crisis to give to Mission Eurasia, which has stepped up powerfully to provide food, supplies, and other services to families in and outside Ukraine. They're giving bread, but they're also giving the bread of Christ. You just need to visit haventoday.org to find out how your gift can immediately be put to use. And when you make a gift, everything you give for aid for Ukraine goes to aid for Ukraine. Not a dime for Haven. We don't take a handling fee. And if you'd like to make an additional gift to our ministry as we broadcast about this crisis, you will have an opportunity to do that when you go to our website, haventoday.org. Now, once I hit the border, I was struck by the consistent stream of 
refugees walking up from the checkpoint, and finally, the first major step in their journey complete. But they were not alone. There were so many volunteers there in their neon vests with sign offering free rides, stockpiles of diapers, glass jars of baby food for young children, warming tents. It was bitterly cold. Hot food in the tents so people can get out of the bitter cold and taking a moment to rest before moving on to wherever they would go next often Warsaw or Krakow, but many others also poised to scatter across Europe. Tell us how long did it take to cross the border? It took us at least probably two hours. So it wasn't days, you made it across in a few hours. It was hard for us to leave Kyiv. There were so many people who wanted to leave Kyiv. All transportation, trains, everything is so overloaded. car train, I think there was packed about 500 people in one car train. We were sitting, standing, you know, sitting on the floors, you know, on the way to uh, here to the border. You and your three sons had to leave your husband behind. Why is that? My father and my husband, you know, old man, they stayed back there to defend our community. My husband, he is, uh, you know, has a military responsibility. And so that's their duty there. They're staying back there defending our city and our country. I also ran into a woman named Paulina. She's from where Russian forces had just taken over Europe's largest nuclear power plant. And I asked Paulina, how much trouble she had getting out of Ukraine. Yeah, we had quite a bit of a lot of trouble, especially when we were loading onto the evacuation train from Zaporozhye. And this was in a part of uh, Ukraine that Russia uh, wanted to take hold of, like the nuclear power plant. Yes, that's in that part, yeah. And, um, uh, is it just one son, or what? Who was who's here son? with her? Yeah, I have two sons. Yeah. And where uh, does she plan to go, or does she know? Yeah. So her husband actually he works here in Poland, and she gave that uh, name of the town, Dapolia and Chelsea. Uh, well, that's where she's going to reunite with her husband, who is waiting for them there. Well, thank goodness her husband is here. Then. Uh, Slava Bogu, ваш муж So that's why we even came, you know, to Poland here because he's here. From the same town where Sergei Rakuba's family is from, very close to the Russian border, I ran into Catherine, who is now a refugee, for the second time. You've come a long way. How hard was it to get where you are right now in Poland? Praise God, it was a little uh, tough uh, physically. Uh, we had some challenges, but praise God, we were not bombed and we did not go through any uh, actual war activity, uh, you know, along the way from uh, where we were. Tell me how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, how are you coping with this? 
Я думаю, что... I think, you know, God is in control. We cannot explain all. God has his own plan. But I think, you know, as I see sometimes, in order that people will repent and get drawn to him, sometimes he can uh, even let go war go, war, wars going like this one. Just outside a warming tent, I met President Emeritus and the founder of Kiev Theological Seminary, Anatoly Prokopchik, just minutes after he had crossed the border with his family. Yeah, right now, we in this situation, we, uh, we are taking care of basically our grandchildren and, and our, our daughter. And for me, probably, it's also a wise decision because I'm on the, on the hit list in the Russian, you know, in, in, when Russians will come, people like me, they're on the hit list. So it's not just President Zelensky then that's on a hit list. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. They they looking for leaders, the religious leaders, in order to really get rid of them immediately. Who did you have to leave behind in your family? I left my son, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, and also in-laws. We've been asking people. Uh, we're at this border crossing, and we've been talking to people who are followers of Jesus. Where do you see the hand of the Lord in all of this? For us, you know, like sovereignty of God, His providence is a defining principle of our life. Uh, in, in Ukraine, most of my family, 70% of my, my family died for Jesus. They were killed by Bolsheviks. And uh, for us, knowing torches, deaths, interrogations, prison camps, it was part of our life. But in all this, we saw tremendous, you know, Lord's glory his really providential care, that people were ready to die for him anyway, not expecting any advantages, not expecting any returns, just to glorify him by their life and by their death. I also encountered many volunteers from Poland, but also from other parts of the world, who traveled there to help as long as they could, to do whatever they could. There was Mike from Goshen, Indiana. What in the world are you doing right here on the border of Poland and Ukraine? Uh, currently, I'm meeting some people that are coming from uh, Ukraine, but in general, um, a few of our partners, uh, business partners, we uh, initiated a um, uh, warehouse in Bielsko-Biala, and um, we are collecting, buying food and uh, medicine and delivering it all the way into we have in Rivna, we have a <clears throat> warehouse where uh, where we have our people taking uh, all these all these goods to uh, Kharkiv, Kiev, all those cities where, where people are in need of food. All I can say is just bless you. Are you doing this just because you want to do a good deed, or are you doing this because you're a Christian, or what's 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 driving you? I think there's uh, not only one cause. Uh, first of all, because I, I am Christian, and the second one, uh, second one, I'm Ukrainian, and uh, those are my brothers and sisters. How long have you been in the United States? Uh, since 2003. Do you see the hand of the Lord in what's going on here uh, at all? Big time, big time. Uh, I think um, with Ukraine, um, there's a big purpose of God. Uh, God, God is showing a lot. You know, nobody expected that Ukraine will be, uh, you know, will be standing so far. You know, it have what is it, ten days now, uh, and it's just a miracle. It is a miracle. Okay, let me ask you a quick question because I haven't asked anybody today. What does Jesus mean to you? Um, 
he is my savior and I guess he's the driver of everything you know I live for. Just up from the hill from where I encountered Mike, a German family stood behind a grill serving more than 1,200 bratwursts and hot tea. They had driven 12 hours from Berlin and taken their outdoor barbecue grill and some outdoor heaters and were serving up hot food to people, some of whom hadn't eaten in a couple of days. You're from Berlin. How long did it take you to get here? Uh, we drove about uh, 12 hours um, directly from Berlin here to, to this point, yeah, 12 hours. And I'm looking at a sign that I think in Ukraine, but below it says in English, Bratwurst. Uh, you brought two of your kids with you. What are you doing here? Yeah, we uh, uh, want to help. We want to help. We want to give uh, the um, people who need help um, hot sausages, um, hot uh, tea. So it's cold and I think they are hungry maybe and they need help. They need people who show them uh, that there are other people with heart and they will help. Now I think I it's very important now. I wandered over thinking I was going to get a Polish dog, but this is a German dog, uh, and it's very, very good bratwurst as well. How, how, how many sausages did you bring? Uh, today we have here now uh, about 1,200 sausages. So also we have uh, 200, no, not, yeah, about 200 kilo uh, of, um, I don't know the English word, Gänsekeule. It's uh, uh, like a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really delicious. It's food, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh, we have we have about uh, 1,000 um, Brötchen. What heißt Brötchen? <laughs> and bread. Uh, 200 200 breads. Uh, we can uh, give to the people. Yeah. And uh, your day job back in Berlin. Uh, you told me you're a food broker and also um, uh, job coach. A teacher. Teacher and job coach, yeah, okay. of course, yeah. Thank you very much for what you're doing here. No problem. It's, okay. uh, it's our, from our heart. After leaving the border, we returned to Warsaw to visit a church that had become a refugee resettlement hub since the crisis began. You're hearing four young Ukrainians in the background. They're all on the telephone right now calling people. I'm in downtown Warsaw at the Ukrainian Bible Church, which also shares facilities with uh, the, the main Baptist church in downtown Warsaw. They're actually calling families to place refugees. Uh, they're planning to have a hundred refugees come in tomorrow. They'll place them somewhere tomorrow. And to date, since the war began, they've placed 1,000, yes, you heard me right, 1,000 refugees in homes in the Warsaw area. And they're volunteering their time. This is what they're doing. Just upstairs, I was introduced to Olga, who had just arrived with her son. Uh, we uh, took train from Kiev to Helm. And then we, um, uh, uh, the volunteer help, helped us uh, with the train to Warsaw. Do, do you have family with you or are you by yourself? I uh, went mis with my son. And who did you have to leave behind? Uh, my mother, my brother, and my husband. Mm. 
Why did you come to a church to seek help? Um, because I uh, visited the, the church in uh, Kiev and uh, it's uh, close to me to be with brothers and sisters. So you're a Christian then? Yes, right. How are you praying right now for the war? What are you praying? Of course, we pray all for peace in Ukraine, in Russia. Yes, I hope that uh, will be peace in our country. Thank you very much, Olga. God be with you. Bless you in the name of Jesus. You too. The hallways were stuffed with people bursting from room to room where people were staying and living before finding a place to land, perhaps a shared apartment in Warsaw where they could bunk up in the living room or homes farther out in Poland and then even beyond. The pastor leading this new unforeseen aspect of his church's ministry spoke to me in a supply room that was piled high with diapers and baby food and donated necessities for these families of a thousand people who were passing through the church. How fast did it take you to organize and get ready, knowing that refugees would be coming? So the first news came from Ukraine when we've heard of invasion early morning, early Thursday morning last week. So that day, were a large number of people already flying out of uh, Kiev to Warsaw, and we started receiving large groups of people already in our church. And there were three simple steps we were encouraging people to join us in. First, everybody can pray. We encourage people to pray. And the second, you know, so they can practically help those who are in need. So help with their resources, uh, their volunteer help and help us, you know, to develop the work, you know, helping people who were moving to this city. Feeding people, you know, with their transportation, meeting them at the border, helping those growing number of families that were coming this way. So finding housing for them, you know, finding places where they could stay, and so on. Yeah, and the third step, you know, we encourage people to raise awareness about the truth of that, what happened in Ukraine, so that people know what actually, I mean, the truth about the war. So we're praying for Russian people so that they can see the truth. Uh, it's a spiritual war. As a pastor, I see it clearly. And as believers, you know, we have to stand in the gap for our nation, for our people, for Ukraine. Here at our center, we're not just helping with their material needs. We are counseling them, we're, bringing them, uh, we're uh, offering them pastoral care as well. So I want you, our listeners, to continue praying for us and pray so that God gives us uh, courage, that gives us strength, so God supplies all what we need when we continue ministering to those who are in need here. From Warsaw, our team traveled closer to the border with Ukraine, second largest city in Poland, where most of the refugees were reaching the country after traveling across one of nine border points, hoping that the war would end and they could go back home. In Krakow, I visited one of the busiest train stations in Europe, filled with 
families, mothers and children resting in corners. It was part of a bus station also and a very large shopping mall. They were taking up all the corners. They all had smartphones, but they all had to figure out what to do next. We're in the Krakow train station, and this is the main entry point for people who've been able to get across the border. If you can leave Ukraine by train, make it across the border, you've got a free ticket to get here. The train lines of Europe just opened up, but this is the point where the most people, thousands are coming through every day. People are sleeping here at night. There's a food bank just up the stairs from me. You can see behind me people have been spending the night. Little children crying, they're missing their home. Their moms, there are older people here. Uh, if, if you want to get a feel for this great dispersion of people from Ukraine to the rest of the Europe and maybe other parts of the world, this is the place to start. And um, we're hearing amazing stories of how people got out, and then amazing stories of how Western Europeans and people from all over are trying to just come and, as the Brits would say, do their bit here at the Krakow train station. Everyone I encountered seemed composed. They had a strong resolve to keep it together for their sake, for their children's sake. It was typically only when you asked them about who did you have to leave behind that their voices would crack and their faces would reveal the raw emotion that was just underneath the surface. As of Tuesday, March 15, when I'm recording this just now, the refugee count had surpassed three million. And by the time you hear this, that number will already be out of date. The horrors each of these families are leaving behind are unimaginable, but they are also very real. I'm calling on everyone who's joined me for this podcast to pray boldly. If the Apostle Paul could pray boldly, if Daniel could pray boldly, if even Jesus could pray boldly, why can't we Christians today pray boldly? And ask for God to break through. Ask for God to turn this army back, to confuse the mind of the Russian leader, Vladimir Putin, to bring safety to all, but especially safety to God's people, for angels to build hedges around people who call on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Every $50 you send will help feed a family of five for a week. So besides praying boldly, how many families is the Lord asking you to feed in the time of crisis? Thank you for bold prayers. Thank you for bold gifts. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.